0: Uh, this is something that I think God has really changed in my heart and in my life. Um, and so I'm really excited to share about this. Unfortunately, there's just, there's so much to say about this topic and I wanted to talk about way too much. So hopefully uh, this is, uh, yeah, hopefully I, could, I narrowed it down enough and hopefully it's easy enough to follow along that y'all are getting what I'm putting down. But essentially, uh, tonight I wanted to talk about... I guess some of the things that I learned and some of the things that I've been, well, I guess, still learning. Uh, originally, I wanted to talk about money and how it relates to power and corruption, like not on like a societal level, but on a personal, individual level. Um, but as I was thinking about it more, I realized, I don't really think a lot of us today are really clamoring to become like super rich and powerful, like the new uh, like John D. Rockefeller or anything like that. Uh, we See, we've seen a lot of CEOs get attacked on social media. We've seen a lot of politicians criticized for corruption. We've seen a lot of celebrities ruin or throw away their lives. Um, and we've just kind of realized that it's really not that amazing being at the top of the world anymore. Um, and to have everything you could possibly want. And with Christians, we have an extra, like I guess, incentive to not want to be rich, so to speak. Uh, because we read the Bible and we see all these warnings and we see a lot of hard teachings from Jesus. and. Um, Other parts of scripture that essentially tells us that it's sometimes bad to be rich and so um, As Christians we hear those things and we no longer like I guess desire like the world does to become super rich Um, And so I decided to move a little bit away from that But the category that I usually find myself in and the people that I know in is the, the middle or like the upper middle class group and uh, we, I, I tend to find myself and people around me saying things like, I don't really want to be rich. Uh, I just want to have enough money to be comfortable, or something along those lines. Uh, or at least enough to be financially stable and set for, uh, for my life and be able to provide for people uh, yeah, around me. And I think that is like, over, overall like, not like a necessarily a bad saying uh, or thing to think. Uh, but I think where we fall into a trap is we start to think, I'm fine with God, and I'm fine with these scriptures, as long as I'm not entirely obsessed with being completely rich. And I think the problem is, uh, we think that as long as I'm not as rich as Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever other really rich person you can think of, um, then those hard teachings that Jesus gives about the rich and about money no longer apply to me. And I think that's a dangerous trap to fall into. Um, We need to be careful of that mindset because when we aren't thinking diligently about uh, yeah, where we are and taking stock at our, I guess, relationship with money. It's really easy to give the enemy a foothold into our hearts. First um, Peter five says, "Be sober-minded and watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour." I mean, just think about how easy it is for us to convince ourselves that what's, you know, what's necessary or what's comfortable or what's whatever. Uh, just like becomes bigger and bigger and every single year, it's like, oh, I mean, this it just makes, makes sense for me to have this standard of living. Uh, you know, when you we were 16 and just got your license, you were so thankful uh, that your dad gave you his beat up old Toyota Corolla. And as you get older, you're like, well, it really just makes sense. I do need a better car. It's gonna last me longer. It's gonna, be, it's gonna provide me more utility. Uh, and essentially, like it's, yeah, like if you look around at people in your lives, people uh, either, yeah, like older than you, or even like the same age, you start seeing that people just start desiring more and more, even if, you know, at the start, they consider themselves like pretty frugal, or maybe even like someone who like, didn't care a whole lot about having all the money in the world. And one of the, oh, I didn't ask for the slide to be put, on, put up, but yeah, like one of the passages I wanted to read is from Ecclesiastes. You can just skip the first slide. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ecclesiastes, if y'all don't know, is a book from the wisdom literature in the Bible, and essentially, the, uh, the, the author of Ecclesiastes, or the speaker, is considered, he's a preacher, he's a teacher, he is, has a lot of wisdom, and he's seeking all these different areas of life for meaning, and essentially, he's like, he is a wise and wealthy and, you know, whatever man, and he's like, man, I just don't know, like, he's very ex- existential, I guess you could put it. Uh, and in chapter 5, he turns to uh, money to seek meaning in his life. And he says, or what he found, is that whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And this word in uh, the original like, version is hevel, which some, yeah, like, we translate it sometimes as meaningless, sometimes as vanity, sometimes as uh, vapor, which I guess is the original word meaning. And essentially, just like it is like hard to grasp. It is fleeting, it is um, temporary, and it's even like confusing. It's an enigma, it's a paradox. And that's essentially what what the, the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says about all these different things. And he says the same thing about money. He says that as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the uh, harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. For everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain, since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Um, the thing is, this all starts from a good place. It comes out of a, like our desire for obtaining, I guess, some level of financial stability or security. It comes out of a desire to provide for those that we care about. Uh, our families, our friends, and even our neighbors, in the sense that Jesus says. It comes out of a desire not to be like a burden on our family, or to be a burden on the church, or to the government. And uh, that's also a good thing. Like, sometimes it's simply out of a desire not to suffer from being poor. Uh, but overall, it's not a bad thing to want a sense of security. Uh, and in fact, the a lot of scripture tells us that we're not supposed to be lazy and just wait for God or the church, or whatever, to do everything for us and to bri- provide everything for us. In Second Thessalonians three, the, uh, the author, which is Paul, he says, "Now, dear brothers and sisters, we gave you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus." Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when you were with us. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so, you would, so we would not become a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. And in 1 Timothy 5, uh, he essentially says, well, he who can provide for his family, they should. And so I'm not trying to like state, like, trying to get money is like inherently terrible or anything Uh, like i said it initially comes out of a pretty good desire for a lot of us but i think the problem uh eventually comes whenever we are just too concerned or only concerned about that we say after and then we eventually say like okay i want to be financially stable first I want to be at a certain level or a certain standard of comfortability. Then I'll be more generous. Then I'll be more involved in the church. Then I'll be more on fire for God. Then I'll do this. I'll do whatever you ask God. But I, I got to at least make sure I reach this like standard first, uh, because otherwise, like, what, like, what am I? How, how can I go on living, essentially? And I used to fall in this category. I used to fall in the first category actually. That like this is all I cared about. Most of my um, life, my primary like drive was just get in, get good grades, go to a good college, get a good job, and and then I guess live my life happy. But um, but this is not like what's what scripture says that we should live like. A lot of the times we start to think, I need to take care of myself first, otherwise how can I take care of others? And there is definitely like some level of truth in that. Like the passages about not being idle talk about and not being a burden to others talk about. Uh, but like the, um, if, like the Ecclesiastes passage and uh, what I was saying earlier about like, our level of comfort is always climbing and climbing, like it shows, we eventually like, take this to an extreme and we start to forget uh, like, the important things in our lives. We start thinking even things like, well, you know, like, I need an at-home treadmill. Got to take care of my health, right? It's... Uh, how do I take care my health? How do I take care others if I'm not healthy? You know, I really need this good gaming chair. What about my posture? You know, uh, I, I need to do these things for myself first before I can do things for other people. And I think that gets us in trouble sometimes. Luke nine, uh, a couple people come to Jesus. A couple of people come to Jesus and they say that they're willing to follow him. Um, J- Jesus said to one man, "Follow me." But he replied, "Lord, first let me go and bury my father." And Jesus said to him. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. And this is kind of crazy. I mean, sometimes when I read this, I'm like, what, who can possibly then like, follow Jesus? I feel like everyone would at least first say, "Like, oh yeah, like, let me go back and just at least say bye to my parents or something. Um, and I think Jesus is being extreme here to make a point that, like, yeah, like, if we put anything above the kingdom, if anything has to come first before we follow Jesus, then we're going to get left behind. Jesus is moving; the kingdom is moving, and if we are too concerned with ourselves, we're going to lose a picture of like what Jesus is trying to do, and yeah, we're going to get left behind. Um, what Paul essentially tells us then, instead. This is like the, the main passage that I was looking at this week, is uh, something from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I think there's a slide for this. Yeah, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. <laughs> For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And, yeah, so this, um, yeah, this is like a very important word for us to heed, whether or not we are rich, yet, or whether or not we want to be rich. And I think it's something that we have to recognize, like we all need to be aware of this. We need to heed the Bible's warnings about money and riches, um, but maybe you're not convinced yet. Maybe you still don't think that these things apply to us. Like maybe I don't know. Like there are definitely some of us in this room who probably didn't come from very wealthy backgrounds. And um, to to us, we do think that it is. Or to, to some of us, we might actually think that. Oh, like I don't think that applies to me. I feel like I, you know, had to struggle and I had like no huge desire to get wealthy. And for for that mindset, um, I don't want. I don't want to like. too too much like dog on people who think that way, but uh, I did wanna bring up some statistics to take, I guess, a different approach and shift gears real quick. And I did wanna point out that for most of the world, for most of human history, including today, um, if you are in this room, if you're able to go to college in America, that pretty much means you are rich. Um, If you wanna pull up the next slide, it is a statistic from 2011, but I think it's not changed much. This is from Pew Research Center. And if you look at the top, that's the breakdown of where income like, groups fall for the entire world, and then the bottom one is for the US. And if you, if you look, most people in the world, they fall in low income or in poor income groups. And most people in America fall in upper middle or high income groups. And I did a little bit of the calculation just so it's easier to visualize. Uh, for people in the poor group, they make less than $730 a year. People in the low-income group, they make less than $3,650 a year, or $304 a month, which, I mean, that's like less than most of our rent, you know? And that's how that's all they get for the whole month. Even the middle-income, they make 608 and that's a lot better. Like, maybe some of our rents are lower than that, but even then, that's that's pretty low for all of your living. Um, 84% of the world is in that middle or lower section and if you make a if you have a $10 an hour job you, that puts you in the high income category like the far right side if you work you know, like the normal like 48 to 50 weeks out of the year um, and a Forbes article says that the average American today is 90 times richer than the average historical human being imagine what you make now, and multiply that by ninety. Think of how much like better you could live. Uh, of course, I, do, I know like this isn't like a perfect step. Like doesn't this doesn't perfectly establish like how wealthy or how well off some people are. For sure, there's a lot more to take into account than just net income. And I think um, probably a lot of you like me. Whenever I first see this, I think like okay, well, the cost of living is much higher here. For example, rent in their country is not going to be three hundred and four dollars a month either it's going to be much lower but that does like yeah I say that's true uh, but it does show yeah standard of living is much higher here too and although that's a, that's a perfectly good thing I think we have to recognize that we are like people who are rich essentially like whatever Jesus addresses the rich we probably should listen to that more than we should listen to the things that he says that he addresses the poor uh, yeah. Again, I'm not trying to say that it's sinful or it's wrong that we were born in America and we were born in this time of the world. It's not necessarily like a bad thing even to to continue living like this. I'm not saying that now we all have to sell everything we have and become poor. Uh, but yeah. So what? What then? Basically, I'm trying right now. I'm trying to establish the point that we are not exempt from Jesus' warnings about the rich and about money. And it's not just about becoming rich that we should be cautious about. What is actually like the big deal about money? Ecclesiastes talks a little bit about like how it essentially like doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, but what's so dangerous about it? Jesus says things that are much more, I guess, like, difficult to follow than just that money doesn't lead us anywhere. He actually says to the rich young ruler that if uh, yeah, like, it's harder for a camel to get, or it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel. To enter the eye of a needle, which seems literally impossible, but um, yeah. So like, what does that mean? Like, why why is money so dangerous for us? And I think I have a slide for that. Yeah. So I want to look at what what money does for us. It does a lot of things, but there's one in particular I wanted to focus on. Earlier I talked about how sometimes we don't want to be generous with our money until we're at a good spot in our finances, uh, or our career, or something. We don't want to do anything radical or really out there for God, or even become involved in church or community. Until we're satisfied with where we are in our lives and our schooling and our career and our dating life and whatever, because we want to be secure first. We want to make sure that we can be uh, at a certain level that we are comfortable with, and then we'll do all those other things. And it says, Yeah, like money makes us feel secure. But uh, putting our trust in money is a dangerous gamble. If you just look up what the Bible says about money, you'll find, you'll find a ton of verses that warn us from trying to build up wealth and riches on earth. And honestly like it's also a dangerous gamble because financial stability isn't actually all that stable. Yeah. Like what if you get laid off? What what then? What if you invested in the housing market or in stocks or in something and it crashes and now what? And all this, it doesn't even address the biggest most crucial part of it, which is that money does Uh, it provides us no spiritual wealth in and of itself. Just having money does us no good after we're dead, like Ecclesiastes says. And that's why I have that first asterisk up there. Uh, It only provides us sometimes with physical wealth and security. And so now, we're finally to my one point tonight. And I think I have the next slide for that. Yeah. In the world, money provides security. But in the upside-down kingdom, God is the one who provides security. In the world, money provides security, but in God's kingdom, God provides security. Uh, if you have been around church for, for a while, you're probably tired of reading this verse. But I think the next slide is going to be uh, Matthew 6. And this is something that really speaks to, yeah, like really this whole discussion about money. And so I would be remiss not to. Read it, but essentially it says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow, or they do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet yeah, I tell you that not even Solomon in all the his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The trust in money is essentially to trust in yourself and your ability to always be able to make enough money to meet your needs. Or at least what you think your needs are, which, as we've established, always like changes and it's not always what you truly need. But when we trust in God, that's to trust in the creator of all things, who is not only easily able to provide anything that we need, uh, but he knows what we truly need, and he's our good father who wishes to give us good things. The beautiful thing is that we no longer have to fear, well, anything, if we trust in God. Uh, And I, for one, would much rather, like, I prefer to trust in God's ability to provide for me, than my own ability to provide for myself. And Once we reach there, once we recognize that we trust in God and not in money, we can really devote ourselves to loving God and loving people, uh, because we know God loves us and that he'll give us what we need when we need it. Yeah. The world says that we have to look out for number one because no one else will. Um, but we don't believe that. Because one, we believe that God is looking out for us, but even then, we imitate our God who put the needs of others before his own. We saw that in Jesus when he, um, like yeah, every single time went out in his ministry and in his ultimate act on the cross. And I think one problem that we start to face as we, like, whenever we discuss, when we discuss this verse is that we don't know, like, do I really trust that God would provide me like, what I need uh, if I seek his kingdom first instead of my own needs? And I put a second asterisk. It seems like it has got put in the wrong spot, oops. But uh, yeah, so this is the second asterisk, which I will give a name now. It's called The Big Butts, and <laughs> i want y'all <laughs> okay it's you'll you understand why it's not b-u-t-t it's but. uh but we'll yeah we'll talk about that later but i just wanted to make sure y'all recognize where the asterisks were where is it supposed to be Uh, it's just it's just on the whole this oh. like the bottom half of this verse uh but yeah so what then uh what what are we supposed to do then are we supposed to sell everything we have and give it to the poor like jesus told the rich young ruler um, are we supposed to go like, join like, a monastery or become a nun or a priest or something like that? Are we doomed because we're rich and we can't spit a camel through the eye of a needle? Um, I don't think so. Of course not. Like, I don't think we necessarily have to resort to just being poor or not being a part of God's kingdom. Uh, but I think we have to recognize that we should not let financial stability or security be the main driving force of our life. Uh, we should seek what makes us spiritually wealthy which is to serve God and love his people in the world, rather than just what makes us physically wealthy. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that whenever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether you Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am seeking not my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Uh, but yeah, so I don't think that necessarily means that we're not allowed to be rich, or that having a ton of savings, or that having nice things is sinful. But it does beg the question, what do we do when we find ourselves living pretty comfortable lives relative to the rest of the world? What do we do when we find ourselves on the receiving end of Jesus' hard teachings about money and about the rich? Well, the, uh, the second part of the, the 1 Timothy 6 passage, which is the next slide, tells us that um, Paul said, to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And if you couldn't tell, that's pretty much where I got my whole point. But command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, and I think something cool to note here is that Paul's addressing those who are rich in this present world. He doesn't call them sinful for being rich. He doesn't command them to give away everything they have so that they're not rich anymore. He doesn't really do anything that resembles condemning them. He just says, like, if you're rich, be generous and um, be people who like, rely on God and not your own money, which you've come into. Uh, I have a story here about my friend Victor. He is a pretty rich person, I would say. His his parents make a lot of money, and he is pretty good at investing and has I don't know, just I don't know what he does, but he's really good at making money off of things like bitcoins and things like that. But anyways, um, this he's one of the richest people that I know in my like age group. But he's also one of the most generous people that I know. He loves the Lord and he loves people, and he is super kind and generous to people that he like barely knows. Actually, like I, I knew him for maybe a month before he essentially paid for like over half of my new computer because like not even really that I needed one. I mentioned that I was interested in building one, and uh, my old computer was pretty outdated. And he was like, "Oh my gosh, I have a like thirty-sixty, and which is a really expensive graphics card, which at the time was super rare and hard to get because of all the uh, shortages." And he like spent forever trying to like wait for literally like clicking, waiting for the, the like, stock to become available again so you can buy it. And he was like, oh, I got this. Like, you can, I'll build a computer for you with this, and you can have that computer. Uh, and then when we went to the store to buy all the other parts, he used his like, rewards points that he built up at Micro Center to pay for like another like, several hundred dollars worth of my stuff. And I met this guy like a month ago, essentially. Like, our parents were friends at our old church. Uh, and he said, like, oh, like this isn't. I've I've done this for people where I've paid for like our whole computer. And he, I mean, he's just so incredibly generous to people. And I was so thankful. I honestly like, I'm so glad that I've been able to know. him. Not just like for what he's given me, but like <laughs> he's like he's a super sweet guy, and I really enjoy getting to know him like through that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, and I, I remember, the reason I bring up this story is not to just brag on one of my friends, but because I remember talking to him about money and about these things once, because he's also a pretty devoted Christian, and he, he once, like, talked about, like, this, like, uh, idea that, like, oh, like, we're, like, money is bad, right? So we're supposed to get rid of money. That's why I, like, buy all these, like, nice things. Um, and then he, like, a lot of, the keeps for himself, but he gives away things to people. And I think, like, I feel like he, like, gets it, you know? On some level he, he gets, like, what it is to, like, not be so concerned about that's just accumulating the money to himself, but he's generous and he uh, is pretty like, I guess wise with it still, but, but yeah, I just thought of an interesting story. Uh, but now, next slide, we're back to the asterisk. We're back to the big butts. Uh, and so the first asterisk I put there, um, noting that our faith and money is at best only, sometimes uh, something that provides physical security because money doesn't really do anything for us um, on the spiritual level, at least in and of itself. There are ways that we can use money for that, but uh, that's like a whole other rabbit hole. But yeah, in the second asterisk, I talked about how when we trust in God, instead we trust in a good father who knows that we need certain things, uh, certain physical things, such as food and water. And I put in there uh, a big buts because sometimes we'll read that and think like, but what about people who trusted in God but weren't provided for physically. The big but is that there are lots of people who put their faith in God but didn't receive everything they could possibly physically need in life. There's a lot of people today who are very faithful Christians but are hungry more often than they are full. Um, When I help with the homeless ministry over at UTD Focus, I'm continually astounded by the great faith of the, the homeless people that we meet. Some of them are barely surviving. Most of them don't. Like have a stable way of making money, and they, yeah, they just go hungry most days or be okay with whatever scraps they can find. Um, so what about them? Like was Jesus not was was Jesus lying? Was his words not like for those people? They're just for people, I guess, like like us or other people. Um, and there's there's a lot to unpack here, but I don't I don't know if I have time for it or if I could even fully understand or explain it myself. But I think something we need to note is that God doesn't really promise us all these things will happen in this life, in this world. In fact, he also promises the opposite sometimes. In John 16, Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Uh, In addition to that, the things that we need, often they turn out to not be what we actually need. If you start to think a a little bit more eternally minded, uh, thinking about things after this life, you might start to agree or start to realize that our biggest needs are not going to be food and water anymore they 're not physical things in this life, and even if there' are food and water in the next life in the next life we don 't really know how that works. Uh, there is where we have a promise that there will be no need for uh, any of that stuff because we 'll all have what we need, and God will provide for us what we don 't have. And so, what we really need is not the things that ensure our physical life and health and wealth in this life, but the things that ensure our eternal life, and our spiritual health, and our physical health afterward. After all, what's 70, 80, or even 100 years of having our needs met in this life, or even having prosperity and wealth through all of it, when that's compared with 100 million years, a billion years, literally an infinite number of years, of both physical and spiritual prosperity in the next life. In Hebrews 11, this is essentially uh, a a section that is dubbed the Hall of Faith. We hear about a lot of people in the Bible who did not receive physical blessings for their devotion to God. We see a lot of people who essentially, they came to the end of their life and they died before receiving what God promised them. Uh, Abraham, who left his home, traveled to a foreign country with only the promise that his descendants would inherit the land, the promised land. Which I know that people back then, you know, just thought and operated differently. But I feel like that's such a like to me that's such a bummer motivation to like completely devote my entire life to something like that. I will never get to see, you know, at least if I don't have um, like the properties the thinking, like, eternally, like, aspect. Moses, who brought Israel out of Egypt, through the desert, and all the way to the Promised Land, suffering persecution from the Egyptians and criticism from his own people, Uh, he went through a lot, and he never got to set foot in the Promised Land himself. And not just in Hebrews 11, there's other people, like, after the Section 2. We learn from Christian tradition that all of Jesus' apostles, with the exception of John, suffered heavy persecution, and eventually died as martyrs for the mission of the gospel. And what Hebrews 11 essentially says, in verses 13 to 16, I'm not sure if there's a slide first, yeah, uh, says that all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I think what we can take from these stories and those verses is that God does not promise us that as long as we follow him, we'll always be healthy and strong with three square meals a day that the We'll have the money to send our kids to soccer practice and enough savings that we can retire at 60. But what he promises us is better than that. What he promises is that no matter what happens to us in this life, we can still rest easy and we can still have joy because of the hope of a new life. A life that's reunited with Jesus and all of his people in a new earth where there's no more death, no more crying, no more pain, Um, and where we will receive all the things that is promised to us and more. That's how the apostle Paul was able to say what he said in 1 uh, in Timothy, which is godliness with contentment is great game. And that's how all those apostles and all those people in the hall of faith were able to stay, like stick it out to the end. because they, they trusted in their good God, who they believed would fulfill his promises. Uh, that's how Paul, like after being in prison, being beaten and tortured many times and suffering so many other afflictions, was able to say in Philippians 4 that he had learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I moved a little bit away from money just now, but I think it's helpful to understand why these people were able to feel secure and not uh, constantly be worried about money or uh, how they would be able to eat their next meal or be provided for physically, uh, because they they trusted in the God who provides for them, and they trusted that He would be the one that gives them security, not just in this life, but in the life to come. but I wanted to bring it back to us and to more things that apply to, it, I guess, um, what we might see, because as Christians living where we are and when we are, we'll probably not need to know suffering, like the truly poor and the persecuted, um, at least like, right now in the, the state of life that we're in. But we can still have the same mindset that putting our trust in God and not in the world's devices is like, the way to life. And it's the way to live in the upside-down kingdom. In the world, money is the thing that provides people security. But sometimes it doesn't even do that, and it's not even like, that great of a security. In the upside-down kingdom, God provides security. And that's the, that's the security that we want. Um, but again, going back to yeah, those of us who do live in, uh, quote-unquote, like, rich lives, it's not necessarily like the biggest like we don't have to be super worried and be uh, concerned about our salvation because we're rich for whatever reason Uh, but yeah like what the word that Paul gave to us is that if we become successful and make a lot of money that's fine, that's great even but we need to recognize the big responsibility and potential danger that we have over us Luke 12 verse 48 says that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. For most of us, we were blessed pretty tremendously in our lives, both from our parents and just from um, our situation in our lives, and for sure from God. And I think we need to recognize that and recognize the big responsibility placed on, um, on that blessing. It's not necessarily like Something we're required to do, but it is like something that we need to like, keep in mind as we like, continue living like where we live, where we are. We don't want to be deceived by the enemy or like dip, or delude ourselves into thinking that we won't one day have to give account to God. Uh, it says that the Lord will will judge both living and the dead, and that's a solemn warning to us who have been blessed with much. Jesus says that if we were given much. Much will be asked of us. Uh, there's a parable where there's three servants who are given different amounts of money by a master, and when the master uh, leaves, the three servants act differently. Two of which invested that money and did well with it, and the third one essentially was afraid and just hid his money in the ground. And when the master came back, he said to the two other servants, which were like wealthy people, they were given a lot more than the third person. Uh, he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been given little, or you've been given much, and you'll be given even more, essentially. Um, but to the third person who received the master's blessing but did nothing with it, um, he called him like a wicked servant. And I don't remember, I didn't write it down. I should have. I think um, it's like one of those herbal ends in him getting thrown in front of prison or something, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, whatever that means. Um, but yeah, so this is a solemn warning to us uh, as we live in America, because America is a country that claimed to be a Christian nation for centuries and has stood above the rest of the world and offered relatively little help to those in dire need, both within our own borders and overseas. And I think, uh, you know, me pointing out doesn't really like, mean anything as well. I recognize that there are a plethora of people who criticize America for it's, I don't know, different qualities. Um, but I think that as we think about that, we should be people who take action and try to change that. We should listen to 1 Timothy 6 in uh, verses 17 and 19 where it says to not put our hope in that wealth. I think you can go back to that slide if, if it's close. Yeah, it says not to put our hope in that wealth, but in God and to be rich in good deeds and be generous with our money. It says that we should listen to God and ask him like, how we should use our blessings. We want to be people who are diligent and are thoughtful about like, what are we doing with, with our wealth. The worship team can come back up. Um, but essentially, that's like my word to, to us as people who live in relatively comfortable lives for the rest of the world. We need to be diligent about examining our hearts when it comes to this stuff. To ask ourselves, is my relationship with money like as it should be? Do I trust in God to provide for me what I need, or do I worry about things of this world that God has already told me that I should not worry about? Am I a good steward of the blessings God has given me, or do I hold on to them tightly out of the fear of losing stability and security? Um, I'm going to pray for this real quick, but I do think. We should all be praying about this as well. Whenever we're going over our budgets, or we receive a paycheck, or whatever, anytime uh, that we find ourselves like engaging in money, we should be recognizing that it is a very like big blessing from God, and you know, we there is definitely responsibility attached to it. Yeah, uh, Father.